Good morning. Happy New Year. You can hear me well? Okay, good. So um, if you just swipe or, or open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, I think it was seven years ago that I said goodbye to the youth group so I could join chaplaincy. And I told the youth group um, on departing from them, don't stay in the box called Bendigo Baptist Youth Group. Don't just stay in this click, this box. Get out of the box and let other young people know about him. And I guess that's the same message that I bring this morning right at the beginning of 2023. And I'm sure many of you have already jumped out, but I encourage all of us to be reminded, don't stay in the four walls of this place. It doesn't define you. What really defines you is what happens outside these walls. And so that's the encouragement. And if you turn to Acts chapter 8, I uh, can't tell you how much I love uh, the book of Acts. And we're looking at the life of Philip. Um, just an incident in Philip's life, which happened to be something huge. But looking at Acts chapter 8, actually, I think I made a mistake in preparing for the person at the back. So she probably hasn't got Acts chapter 8, 1 to 8, and a little bit more, but she's got other stuff. So anyway, let me read to you, and you can read yourself. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, a great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people uh, there about uh, the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming, can you believe, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. Run over to verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down to the desert road that runs to Jerusalem, to Gaza, from Jerusalem. So he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Jump to 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me what the prophet was talking about, himself or someone else. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. 
The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotos. He preached the good news there, and in every town along the way, he came uh, to Caesarea. Now, there's a lot of action in there, and that's, uh, I guess that's, that's on purpose by the Holy Spirit because God is always moving, and we all know that. Before you turn around, he's doing something else in your life or in somebody else's life, in your family or friends. He's always on the move. And so for 2023, the word is watch out because God is on the move. Are you coming with him? Are you and I going to move the way God wants to move this year as we reset, as Dave mentioned? If anyone was was asking, Mike, what are you passionate about? Apart from Jesus... And I've been walking with him for a while now. So apart from Jesus as my passion, maybe some of you would know that another passion in my life, which is probably the burden of my wife, is that I love sports. I love watching sports or being involved in sports. I love it. I can't, I can't get enough of it. That's probably really bad, but I can't get enough of it. But in 1995, when I was working um, under a builder, and uh, this is when I'd come back from Australia for, uh, for a bit of time in New Zealand and to go back for missionary training in language school. So while I was in New Zealand, I worked for a builder. And as we travelled to work every day, uh, right in the midst of, of what we were doing, the America's Cup was on. Now, New Zealand were they had suddenly risen to the heights, you know, with the competition. So every day we went to work, there was a massive sign on the corner just around from where we worked that said, New Zealand, one, stars and stripes, zero. And so we would go home and the next day would come, two nil. I'm thinking, three nil. You know, it was exciting to see the Kiwis take these guys out. Sorry, Julie, I just realised. Sorry, Julie. But it was exciting to take them out. These guys had held the cup for so long. Australia snatched it in 83 for a little bit, but, you know, this was exciting. And so I was intrigued. It was another sport. Why not take it up? (laughs) So I started to watch the America's Cup from 1995. And essentially, it's just two boats going up and down a course. I think it's about seven or eight times they go up and down the course. I actually remember one day my kids actually said to me, what are you doing, Dad? I was, I was transfixed when the final was on one year. And they thought I just, anyway, just up and down the course until the boat that is in front wins the race. And um, it's an exciting thing to watch when you really get into it. And uh, we, New Zealand actually won the recent America's Cup. And there I was, I think it was a year and a half, a year ago, up and down. I was watching the Kiwi boats, you know, take them out again. And the thing is, the boat that catches the wind best wins the race. The boat that leverages the power and direction of the wind wins the race. The one that does that the best. And from our passage, 
I want us to see that Philip was like that. He caught the wind of the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God was able to take him wherever God wanted him to go. And um, I was thinking about this because ministry is important, isn't it? We all know that, otherwise you wouldn't be involved in it. Whether you're at Creek Street uh, as a teacher, involved in ministry there, I'm looking at Lynn Hall there, or wherever you are ministering, whether you're at the great ministry fields of Bunnings, <laughs> if God can move you there, there's something to do there, but he's got to get you there. And Philip was someone who was able in his life to be open enough for God to catch him. And he was able to catch the wind of the Spirit and God was able to, to move him. So I, I want to give a, you know, two or three, uh, I guess, principles about Philip. Because we all want to be able to evangelize. We all want to be able to reach people however we do that. And there are many ways to do that, but we want to do that well. Because the Great Commission was always to go, not to sit. It was always to go. And that's why you, you read with me in Acts chapter 8 that when persecution came, the Spirit of God actually moved them out to preach God's Word. Sometimes God's got to hurt us to get us out there, to do something for Him. So what type of person does that? What type of person does God want us to be that Philip shows in his life? And he's the first one. Philip was usable. He positioned his heart and his life in such a way that God could use him. Because there are many ways that God cannot use us. Uh, for example, pride. When we're full of pride, he just can't use us effectively the way he wants to use us. Just, just can't do it. But there are, many, there, there are ways where, where we can be usable, and Philip illustrates that way. He was a usable vessel for God. He was a tool in the shed that was right for what God wanted to do out there. Now, those of you that are especially younger here that want to work at Bunnings in the future, let me give you a bit of encouragement that when you uh, apply for Bunnings and, and you may get a job there, you're going to get a lot of training there. They do a stack of training. You're training to do all sorts of things at Bunnings so that you can be the best person for the customer. And so one of the trainings that you will do at Bunnings is that you're a spotter. Does anybody know what a spotter is? So you all need to go work at Bunnings so you can uh, know what a spotter is. So a spotter is someone who leads the forklift driver on his forklift through the, you know, through the, the aisles if they want to go and grab products and bring them down for customers. And you have to do that safely. So they need a spotter because there's far too many black spots for the driver. So you need to be trained well as a spotter. Spotter needs to be three meters away from that forklift so that the spotter himself is safe. Got to keep the customers away. 
I can tell you some stories. Eh? You've got some customers who come right leaning up to the forklift and say, yeah, mate, just uh, put it onto the, to the trailer there. And you have to say really nicely, you've got to be three metres away. Otherwise, the cameras that are showing in the aisle are going to get us into trouble. Can you please move back? So you've got to be trained as a spotter. And it's a serious responsibility. And if you don't do this job well, you are deemed useless as a spotter. There's no point. Why would you even attempt to do it if you don't do it well? Now, Philip was a great spotter for the spirit. He did his job well. God could count on him and use him for what he wanted to do. A need arose in those early days of the church as we read. Um, a practical one that couldn't be ignored. The Bible teaches in, in Acts chapter 6 that the widows, the Hellenist widows, the ones who had embraced the Greek culture, these ones, they were still Jewish. They still practiced and did sacrifices just like the widows that were Jewish. But they were the ones who embraced the Greek culture, you know, they, they, they wore the garb. They spoke the lingo. But these widows seemed to be ignored when practical support was given to the widows. So how would they have felt? Yeah, you don't have to be bright to answer that question. They would have felt, what's going on? Why are we neglected? And so the church got together and had to do something about this because the widows that were neglected, this, this, this wasn't a God thing. You know, I remember um, when I was growing up um, in our island family, when you grew up in a Pacific Island family, you had grandma, you had aunties, you had even some grandkids, you had your own kids. Everybody seemed to be living together. That was the norm. So I had my uncle and my auntie living up, living together with us for years. Now, as the years rolled by, my uncle and my auntie began to squabble. They just didn't get on. And for years, they just mm, mm, had a go at each other. And they argued and they, you know, my, my uncle would get up in family meetings as, as the elder, the male elder of this culture, and he would begin to, to, to make a speech, and my auntie would go, look, listen to me. And she would mumble behind. He could hear her. And he was offended, but he kept doing what he was doing, but offended, and she didn't care. She just, well, here I was in, in Australia, you know, in, in training, and I called my family. I said, hey, how's family going? What, what's going on? And they said, oh, my, <laughs> my auntie's name was Tito. My uncle's name is Kihi. And they said, you're not going to remember that, so it's okay. So um, they said, oh, Mike, Mike, Kihi and Tito were at church this morning. You should have seen it. And, and I said, yeah, well, why, why is that? And, and, and she said, well, you know, I told my wife the other way around, but I know it was this way around. Um, Everybody was seated for communion. And Kihi was an elder in the church. And so Kihi came with his cups. And uh, just stay right there with Dave there. Kihi came with his cups and handed it to you. And you saw Tito and he bypassed her. And he went over to that one. And he went to that one. 
you know, just bypassed that. And imagine how he felt neglected. So something had to be done. And the church prayed and the church got together and uh, they chose seven men. And the Bible teaches in terms of this usefulness, this usableness, if you like, they had to be men of good reputation in and outside the church. Men of good reputation. That's important. Um, Please don't ring Bunnings and say, how's that guy Mike going? You know, because I'll probably embarrass you. But, you know, I remember years ago, Billy Graham actually said that um, he heard it's a story about a boy who got a job. And he was so excited and he had this job. But after a few weeks, he decided to ring up the job and say, uh, how's that boy so-and-so working? And, and uh, you know, how's he going with all this? And his friend asked him, well, why did you do that? Why did you ring up about yourself? And he, and he said, oh, I just simply wanted to see how I was doing. He wanted to see how his reputation was. And Philip had a great reputation to be part of this group of men who would meet the practical needs of these widows. But also, they had to be full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we could spend weeks on that, but let me just sum it up for you. The Holy Spirit had control of Philip's life and his mouth and his hands and his home life and his ministry life. The Holy Spirit had control of him. In fact, the life of Jesus was given permission to be displayed in his life. The Bible also says that he was full of wisdom. Can you imagine if someone without wisdom put in this place, oh, you know, that, that one there is not suffering enough. Uh, you know, all sorts of excuses and just unwise treatment of these widows. But Philip, God used him because he was full of wisdom. He was a wise man. He was like Joseph. The passage then records not only the feet of Stephen going into persecution and dying a martyr's death, but it also zooms in on the feet of Philip going into persecution and then seeing this incredible fruitfulness in his life exploding. He was a usable person in the life of ministry. And so the challenge for you and I is this. Can God use us? Are we positioning ourselves in such a way that he can tap us on the shoulder and say, I need you for that conversation right there. And those conversations will come. I remember it was only four or five days ago in Bunnings. And every morning I pray, God, open a door. I don't know how you're going to do this. Just open a door. Open it somehow. Use my life, I guess, but I would love to say something. <laughs> You know, four or five days ago, I was in the aisle putting stock away. And this person um, who's been there for quite a while, who knew Tyson, because Tyson worked at Bunnings um, in Epsom. And this person said, how is he getting along? What's he up to? So I was able to say, oh, yeah, Tyson's in 
For those of you who don't know where Tyson is, he's in Queensland and he's doing a bit of work up there. And, and so I told her that. And uh, she goes, just out of the blue, is he still going to church? And I said, yeah, yeah, he's, he's connected in up there you know, for the church. And then she says to me, oh, I don't mean to offend you, but what church do you go to again? I said, oh, you know, the big church in Juniton. You know? She goes, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she went on about how she was invited to a Jehovah Witness place. And, and then she went on about her experiences there. And all the time I'm listening, I'm going, yes, 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 yes. God's just opening a small window to say and be something for Jesus. Philip was usable. And in 2023, what about you? What about me? Something else about Philip that he challenges with, and it's this. He was sensitive. Philip was in the middle of a revival. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, 6 to 8, crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many had been paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city of Samaria. Listen, let me bring it closer to home for you. The atmosphere around Juniton was incredible. Strat would say in other places close by, it was electric. The church had become a hub of activity such as was never experienced before in all their 170 years. Even the coffee man had to hire three or four people, more staff, more members to serve. Baptisms were crazy. They were commonplace. There was such an explosive interest in the gospel and people were being transformed all over the region. You could feel the joy and the spiritual release as far as Axdale and Heathkit. Conversations in cafes and pubs about Jesus and the hope that he brings to all, no one was excluded from those conversations. The social club, oh, people were just being kicked out and, and you know, Invited in, all because of this conversation about Jesus. Nightclub owners lost uh, half of their, the cream of the crop, their attendees. The Bendigo Easter Parade not only had one float, but seven floats about Jesus. Representing Christ and the good news. Something incredible had shaken the community and the aftershocks were beginning to be felt in all directions as far as Echuca and Kitan and Seymour and Bort. Not quite New Zealand, but it would, it would get there. But you know, you can see what, what, what the Spirit of God was doing and Philip was a part of this because he was sensitive. And I want to draw the lens closer to the sensitivity. Because in Acts chapter 25 and 26, Luke says this, After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John 
returned to Jerusalem. And they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, again, I ask the question, why would anyone want to leave Samaria? It's just too good. In fact, the, oh, why would you want to leave what God is doing in Samaria? Why would anybody want to step aside from a ministry that God, you can clearly see God is, is doing? Why? I want you to hear me clearly when I say this and not be, uh, you know, misunderstood. Because when it comes to ministry and opportunities, the call of God is greater than those ministries and opportunities if God wants to move you somewhere else. That's what I wanted you to hear. Because ministries are important and callings to specific places and people are important, but they are not as important when God says, God the Holy Spirit says, I want you now to go over here. And Philip was sensitive enough to go from the revival in Samaria to a one-on-one -on -one conversation with an African. That's a powerful situation. That's a man who's sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to know that the priority now for him was no longer there. It was over here. There is strong, uh, I, I guess, let me put it again to you this way. Because why, again, why would he go there to there. What is the common thing about here and the common thing about here that made Philip move? It's people. It's not necessarily ministry. It's people. People. And there's strong evidence in the scriptures that Jesus is coming again at any moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 John 14, one there's evidence that Jesus is coming at any moment. Now, why is he late? We thought about that 20, 30 years ago. Some of you thought about it 50, 60 years ago. Peter and John and Paul and all of them thought about it 2,000 years ago. Why is he so late? Because one of the reasons he's late, in our eyes he's late, in his eyes, he's right on time. It's because Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God wants the Samaritans to come to Jesus, but God also wants the African to come to Jesus so that the African can take the word back to Ethiopia and tell the Ethiopians that Jesus loves them. But you need sensitive ears.
to, th- to get that kind of message. A few years back, um, a guy messaged me on uh, Messenger. And I, I looked at his name and I couldn't, oh, who is this guy? You know what it's like. And so he started talking to me on Messenger and says, hey, Mike, uh, long time no see, bro. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, bro, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who is this guy? And then I, I just listened to what he was saying to me. And, and then it clicked. And he said, you know, you remember we used to hang out at youth group uh, in Auckland together with, with the rest of the gang. And, and I was the pastor's kid. And, and I thought, yes, yes, Andrew, yes. And the picture came to my mind. And he says, bro, I just want to thank you after all these years. And I'm saying, why? Well, what's up? Well, and he goes, I'm not sure if you remember this, but um, years ago when, when we were doing youth group, and he says, I was having a bad day that day. I was having a real bad day. And I was out the front smoking and, you know, just didn't know what to think or say. And I saw you come along. I saw you go past. But then I saw you stop and turn around and you came back and you asked me, what's up? What's going on? Are you, are you, are you good? And he said, I told you everything that was going on. In fact, I told you that, man, I was at the point of suicide. And he said that conversation that day with you allowed me to have a different perspective. And I was able to get the help that I needed. But you stopped, Mike. And I just want to say thank you for stopping. And when I, when I thought back to that, I realized that if I hadn't stopped, according to the wonderful account of Esther, God would have chosen someone else to listen in to this guy. But he gave me an opportunity to be sensitive and to be willing to listen to someone else. But you've got to be sensitive. I remember, and I I don't want to... um, leave you with a bad balance here because I remember when I wasn't sensitive and this was what three or four years ago when I was preaching um, at a place, I think it was in Barfold in Reedsdale and I had a message for them but the morning that I had left my daughter Mia asked me for something and I didn't listen, I just didn't listen to her, she had frustrated me that, that morning and I decided not to listen to her. In fact, I ignored her and just put, brushed it aside. But I went to Barfold and I preached God's word faithfully and, and a lot of them were blessed. But the Holy Spirit came right back at me and says, really, Mike? <laughs> really? What about Mia? <laughs> so, tail between my legs, I walked back home, got Mia aside and I apologised for the way I treated her, for the lack of sensitivity in my ears. There's the last thing I want to talk about, and that was, and it's obvious, Philip was available. God could see a man who he could use because he was hands up, 
me. You can use me. Philip obeyed and went to work with the religious African leader as the passage unfolds. It's an incredible opportunity. The man actually invited him up into his chariot. In fact, he was reading the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53 of all places. Duh, the Messiah suffering. What greater opportunity can you get? So the Bible says from the beginning of that scripture, he gave him Jesus. He baptized him. And then incredibly, as they came out of the water, he was gone again. The African didn't see him anymore. In fact, the Bible says, whoosh, Philip is at Azotos, preaching God's word again. See, this man was available to go here and there to that person, to this group. He was just available. That's the challenge of 2023. Are you available? I've great um, admiration for those who uh, have great ability in academia. You know, I do have admiration for them. I just sit back and think, oh, I wish I could say those words like that person can say that word. Wish I could preach like that person who says a lot of those articulated, great theological, you know, it'd be great to be able to do that. But you know what? God doesn't necessarily need people of great ability to send out his message. But you know what? He also uses those with great ability as long as they're available. As long as they're available. As long as the Spirit has free room to move into their lives. Do you remember what um, Samuel said as a boy? Dave basically said it in his prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Do you remember what Mary said to the, to the angel after the news? Let it be so. Let it happen to me. Boy, there's going to be some talk in the town when they find I'm pregnant. But let it happen to me as you say. I'm available. Let it happen to me. Took him a while. Took God a little while to squeeze it out of him. But Elijah heard a still small voice. And finally submitted and was available to the next move of God in that ministry. So, what about you and I this morning? What's your response? It's hard to hear a message like that because it demands a response. You can't leave out here without responding to God. There's a woman named Eleanor Young who spent 17 years in the jungles of Java in Indonesia with the uh, Kimyao people. The primitive tribe of 8,000 was her life's devotion. She learned the language. She translated the Bible. She orchestrated many of the, the practical supports for these people and nurtured them as if they were her own husband and children that she never had. She brought Jesus into their neighborhood. Eleanor was given the affectionate name of bad legs. <laughs> Why bad legs? 
Because as a little baby, a little girl, she had polio. And so from that moment on, she had crutches to lean on. In fact, it's interesting, um, in her little church, a missionary was invited to speak into the life of that little church. There was only 12 to 15 people there. Eleanor was one of them. And he spoke to this church and then he gave a call. Who, who's going to go to these people? Who wants to go? No one put their hand up except Eleanor Young. She put her hand up. Get this. It's a warning to Dave, I guess. <laughs> the pastor said to the missionary, I apologize that my people didn't respond. And the only one who responded was this poor handicapped girl who probably won't do anything anyway. <sighs> Eleanor spent 17 years with these people, bringing Jesus to their neighborhood. All because she was available. She said, use these legs no matter what they're like. Here's my heart. Take it. I want to leave you with some very quick practical things to take away this morning. Here's one of them. Prioritize your heart and character over your gifting, qualifications, and experiences. Prioritize your heart and your character over your giftings, your qualifications, and even your experiences. Proverbs 23, 26 says, My son, give me your what? Your heart. If I could only just get your heart, I've got everything. Secondly, I love this. Stay when the Holy Spirit says stay. And move when the Holy Spirit says move. Stay when the Holy Spirit says stay, but you move when the Holy Spirit says move. When Israel journeyed in the wilderness on their way to the promised land in Exodus chapter 40, 36 to 38 records an intriguing passage here. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would be sent out on their journey following the cloud. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and night and glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see. So whether it was even at night they moved, they moved. If it stayed, they stayed. This is the principle God is trying to teach us, that when he moves, we move. When he stays, we don't go anywhere. In fact, Israel found that, that out when they inquired of the Lord one day and said, should we go and battle against them? And he says, no. But they went out, they lost. So when he says, stay, we say, I'm staying. And when he says, go, Hopefully, I'm available. And he said, we say go. Finally, be fully convinced in your mind from the life of Philip that without him, we can do nothing. 
But in saying that, God will not do anything without using us because he chooses to use people to reach people. But without him, we can do nothing. John 15, 5 says, apart from me, Jesus said, I, you can do or accomplish nothing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own, but our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of the new covenant. Someone quipped years ago that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. In my mind, Philip will always be the one He'll always be the one who left the revival so he could have a conversation with one man and thereby inspire us with reaching out to people the way Jesus would have us to reach people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Philip. I know it's been rushed, but we thank you for his inspiration. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you were able to use someone so simply and simple like him, all because he, he positioned himself to be useful, all because his ears, his heart was sensitive to the voice of the shepherd, and all because he was available to say, just use me, Lord. So I pray as we walk away from this place, Drive these truths into our hearts this afternoon so that when we leave this box, this building, it would define us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.